Good morning. Someone really tall was standing here the last time, I guess. It wasn't me. All right. Well, open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. Today we are talking about regeneration, about being born again, about how God works to save people and how that should drive our life. Regeneration is what I'm calling the preceding work of one. I will explain that as we go along. But it's so that you will know that God is the one who saves by his own will. And so that you would rest content in that truth in the midst of whatever you're going through and whatever you will go through in life. Peter was writing to a group of people who were in trouble and he was writing to comfort them. And he was comforting them with truth about God that they needed to know. And it's the same truth we need today in the midst of our lives. So if you would, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter 1 and stand with me to read God's Word. I'm going to read the first three verses. We're going to focus, though, on verse 3 today. We'll probably get into verse 4 next week. Verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Lord God, we we thank You for Your presence with us and we ask, Lord, that You would, would do the work You want to do in our hearts Teach us, Lord, your ways so that we would follow you all of our days. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And please be seated. You might think, wow, just one verse, but I'm telling you, this one verse could last us our lifetimes. And uh, if you look at the sermon notes that I created this week, it just might. We're talking about regeneration today. We're talking about being born again. And it's a, a simple concept, simple enough for a child to understand, and a very deep one as well. You know, when we come to the Word of God, we realize there have been things going on in our minds all week long, much of which causes us stress and anxiety and pressure and anguish of soul. And what God's Word does is it redirects us to what is true and right and good in God's sight. God's word reminds us that we are not our own. We belong to him. We've been created by him and for him and we live through him. We live by his power. God's word reminds us that we are mortal and that we know that there is a real God who cares and who sees and who provides and who initiates, who intercedes, who takes action on our behalf. 
We do not have a God who is unconcerned with our situation, but one who actively rescues. And what I want you to see today is that he actively rescues even before we know that we need rescue. Now for some, this is going to be a day of big new words. We're going to get into words like regeneration, election, foreknowledge, predestination. And the words that you're not supposed to use to impress people or to conquer people or to divide people, but to build up those in Christ. Comfort the hearts of believers. Help Christians understand what God has done for them so that they'd want to praise and serve Him with all their hearts. Every time in the in scriptures where you see these type of words being used, they're used to comfort believers in trouble. I think it'll also be a day of pointing out some humanly impossible things, seeming illogicalities, things that seem absurd to the rational mind, to the natural mind. Illogicalities abound in God's economy. Creation out of nothing, ex nihilo. God creating everything out of nothing. The virgin birth, life from death, donkeys talking, axe heads floating, sun standing still or shadows going backwards. And what happens is it takes us out of our comfort zone. It takes us out of the zone where we think we're in control. It takes us into another realm. It takes us into the spiritual realm of eternal things where our feet cannot touch the ground. And it's way different than feeling like you've been thrown into the deep end of the pool. I said that last week. Well, Peter just threw us into the deep end of the pool right away. But see, we can touch the ground in that pool. Not in this pool that we're playing in today. We're, we're in a, a vast, deep ocean that is so far bigger than us that we will drown unless someone rescues us out of it. And I think it's good for us to admit when we come to topics such as this that we are over our heads because God is God and we are not. And if we can just get that straight to begin with, we will solve, we will solve problems before they start. God's Word blows our minds. It should. God's Word should blow our minds. And the reason is because God's thoughts are not our, our thoughts. God's ways are not our ways. Isaiah 55 says it very clearly. God says it. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. God's Word should blow our minds. We should be awestruck in His presence. We should praise the glories of His grace. It takes us to that place where we know we're not in charge. But isn't it true? I do this all the time. I know you do too. You get so set in your thinking about something, even something God talks about in the Word, that you say, no one can change my mind. No one can tell me otherwise. Even God. It's kind of like when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees. He said, you know, you didn't believe it when God sent you to the prophets. You're not going to believe it when someone rises from the dead. And people deny sometimes the plain truth of Scripture, the miraculous occurrences that God brings about. And we don't want to be those people. We want to receive what God has for us. So today, I just want to say, before we dive into verse 3, God's Word should blow your mind. And you just might be uncomfortable by what you see in God's Word today. And it might throw you off balance and you might be unsettled. I'd say, good for God that he did that to you. 
Good for God that he's wanting to grow you. Because the way you thought things were aren't the way God says it is. It's very possible that you will run into some ideas that I present today that you're like, that's not what I was seeing in God's word. And I come to this today, as I do every Sunday, trembling because I am dealing with the living and abiding word of God and wanting to handle it accurately and knowing that this word cannot be bound and that it is quick and powerful and sharper than any double-edged sword. We get all that straight. We know that. So we read 1 Peter 1, 1 through 3. In the first two verses, Peter puts out what I consider the best intro ever because he deals in doxology, praise to God. Starts by praising God. And then he dives into some theology, truth about God. And then he, he works in some biography, uh, changed lives by God. And now he follows it up in verse 3. And you think, what, what is he going to do now? What's coming next? I love it. It's more of the same. Praise to God and truth about God and lives changed by God. More and more of the same. So let's start in verse 3. And verse 3 starts with praise to God. Doxology. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you were writing a letter in those days, you would state who you are and who you're writing to, and then there would be a word of greeting, a word of praise to the gods. Maybe if you're writing to Caesar, you'd be praising him as God. Here, Peter says who he is and who he's writing to, the elect exiles, and then he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, Jews were used to praising God for being their provider, their sustainer. But here it takes us in a whole other place. This was something altogether different. Christians praise God through Jesus Christ because of what he has done. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was different. We should acknowledge God's goodness and supremacy right off the bat. Praise be to God. We should shout that out. We should give the credit to God. We should make that our salutation. Wake up in the morning before your feet hit the ground. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bless the Lord Jesus. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Then Peter says, it's according to his great mercy. He's, he's, he's telling us that something is, has been done according to his great mercy. So the basis of Peter's praise is God's mercy. God's desire to save. That's the reason to praise God. If you want to comfort someone who's going through a really hard time, what do you, what do you give them? You give them your best word of encouragement, right? You want them to know... Something that will spark a renewed sense of purpose in their life. You want to pump them up. You don't want them to give up. Give them a pep talk. But if you are the Holy Spirit-inspired Peter, what do you do? You don't go tell them to win one for the gipper. You don't tell them, you know, unite us. Or you, you want to give them something about how their standing is secured and guaranteed by someone else because they know they're in trouble. And what you do is you give them the most humanly illogical answer. You do not tell them that the force is with them. You do not tell them that the power is inside of them. You prop them up in God. That's what Peter does here. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy. See, Peter wants the family of God to feast on the goodness of God in saving them. Think about it. Families love to enjoy meals together. You, you sit down and you enjoy a meal. You might talk about your day, but you're setting aside your work. You're even setting aside your play. You're putting your phone down, right? Taking it into another room. And you, you thankfully and gratefully receive what God has given to you to give you strength for your body to live. Very significant time of fellowship, lost in many in many households today, but families and households and, and the family of God benefit from times like that. And we know we do. Well, Peter wants to encourage their souls and lead them to feast spiritually on the goodness of God. That's where Peter's going here. Peter thought it was very important to begin this letter with joy and praise to God, knowing that people he was writing to, these believers, were facing horrible persecution from Rome. And it would get worse before it got better for them. Some of them would be burned alive. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that comes upon you for your testing, as, some, as though some strange thing were happening to you. He wanted them to know how much God cared about them and how their destiny temporally and eternally was all in God's hands. We can take immense comfort from knowing that. They did. 1 Peter 1.3 reads, like a song of praise to God. Like a song. It was meant to encourage Christians living in trouble in a hostile world to look past their troubles and rejoice in their eternal inheritance. So he encourages them with a statement of God's gracious acts on their behalf. Those words will not just help them, but they will help us as well. So praise is the first thing we see. The second thing we see is some truth about God, what God did. Theology. He says, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. There's a lot in there. Blessed be God, expression of faith and praise based on God's goodness in Christ. This plethora of gracious gifts. And here's the biggest of them all. According to His great mercy, on the basis of His mercy, because He desires to save, He has caused us, who's us? It's the elect exiles that He's writing to, and Himself. He has caused us to be born again. Another word for born again is regeneration. Regeneration. You're born again. Jesus talked to Nicodemus about that. The idea behind regeneration is God causes a new birth. God takes what was dead, makes it alive. God secretly and sovereignly imparts spiritual life to those He has chosen. It means you've been made a new creation if you've been regenerated. It means you've been born from above, as the Bible says. The new birth. It's the work of God. All who are born of God, the Bible says, are born of the Spirit. So 1 Peter 1.3 says, God is the one who has caused us to be born again, to a living hope. It means that God granted us new life. And the means by which He did that is the Gospel, because believers are born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. You see that in verse 23 of this very chapter. So regeneration... 
a spiritual birth, being born again, is a supernatural birth. Now think about it. When you were born, how much were you involved in the process besides going along for the ride? You didn't do anything to be born spiritually. It just happened to you. So too, you cannot do anything to cause your spiritual rebirth. The Bible tells us that unbelievers are dead in their transgressions and sins. Under the dominion of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Everyone who was born into the world as a son or daughter of Adam. So people enter the world as slaves to sin. Their wills are in bondage to evil. And therefore they have no inclination or desire to do what is right in God's sight. God, however, because of His amazing grace, has made us alive together with Christ. Ephesians 2.5 he has regenerated his people, Titus 3.5. He has breathed new life into us where there was no life previously. And the result of this new life is faith, which is also a gift of God. You can look in 1 John. Go to 1 John. You see that regeneration comes before faith. And that's where a lot of people, as they try to think it through, maybe get off base. They think that their faith brings about regeneration. But if God causes us to be born again and He does the work, then it isn't our faith that makes regeneration happen. 1 John 2.29 If you know that He is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. There's the key phrase, born of God, born of Him. 1 John 3.9 No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And also 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves him, whomever has been born of him. R.C. Sproul says it this way, Regeneration precedes faith. We tend to get that backwards and think that our faith is what causes us to be reborn. Unless we are born of the Spirit, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, we cannot see the kingdom of God, let alone enter it. The very condition that God requires for justification is by His grace sovereignly supplied. We should be very thankful. See, if if you try to put faith before regeneration you expect a very weird thing to happen. The natural dead person to rise up to life on their own. We expect those who are dead in sin to exercise spiritual life. It can't be done. Ephesians 2 says you were dead in your transgressions and sins and God made you alive without any help from you. You go back to verse 1. And if you're struggling with this, I'm glad because I, I will explain it as we go along, but just go with me on this. Go back to verse 1 and you see a related word, election. Those, those who are elect exiles. Now, election is God choosing beforehand whom he is going to save. The very clear statement on election by Jesus and regeneration is found in John chapter 6. Go to John chapter 6, and we'll re- start reading at verse 35. John six thirty-five. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So there's someone who's coming to him. And he says, 
Verse 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. That's key. Verse 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Verse 40, this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. He says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I will raise him up on the last day. You've got these, these phrases, whoever comes, no one can come unless the Father draws him. And interestingly, what you see is this was a hard saying, and some of the people that said they were following Jesus stopped following Jesus at that point. Romans chapter 9, we'll go there as well. Well, we'll go there in a, in a little while. Don't go there yet. The, the high idea about Romans 9 is that it says, it's, it doesn't depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Because of God's mercy alone. Very common thing in Greek letters in the New Testament era. Again, the writer identifies himself, identifies the recipients, gives a word of greeting. He greets them as God's elect. God, election is a major theme in God's word. And, and no believer should ever feel threatened by the doctrine of election. It is for your comfort. It is for, it is for your comfort from God. And, and it's the basis of comfort. Say you're going through horrible times right now. And you come to church and you gather with God's people and your heart is just aching. Being reminded of truth you know helps. It gives you perspective in life. Peter is giving them perspective. See, this is not about you guys. You didn't start this. God's in control of this process. Now in verse 2, there's another related word. We looked at it last week, foreknowledge. We'll look at it very briefly. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Foreknowledge is God knowing beforehand. God knowing beforehand. Foreknowledge to know before when it was only him who knew. A lot of people want to explain that away and say God knew what we would choose and makes us a, a, a determiner. Here it's God knowing before when only he knew. It was his idea, his plan, his initiation, his purpose, his will. You can ask the question, how much does the Father know beforehand? How much does God know? Everything. Everything. The error of open theism is that God doesn't know everything beforehand. But the Bible teaches that God does. Another word that's related, and it's a, another Bible word, is predestination. A lot of people get all worked up about predestination versus free will and all that. But predestination is God deciding beforehand. So you've got God choosing beforehand and knowing beforehand and deciding what he is going to do beforehand. The Bible says he predestined us to adoption. The Bible says that as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Acts chapter 13 verse 48. Now I'm going to give you a bonus word. It is not a Bible word, but it explains what the Bible teaches. The word starts with the letter M. It's an interesting word. It's not a word you use a lot. It's monergism. Monergism. And what it means is the work of one. And it's the idea that God saves alone without any help from humans. That mankind does not cooperate in his salvation. Now mankind cooperates in sanctification. That's a progressive work of God and man by which he makes us more like Christ. We are in the process. But in terms of coming to new birth, that's God's work. That's God's work. Monergism is the work of one, a God-centered view of salvation. John MacArthur put it this way, the new birth is monergistic. It is a work solely of the Holy Spirit. Sinners do not cooperate in their spiritual births any more than infants cooperate in their natural births. The idea is God, if you're, if you're a believer, if you're 
born again god caused you to be born again he made it happen he willed it to happen he wanted you to know that it wasn't you he wants you to know it wasn't the person who shared jesus with you it was god and god alone who determined your salvation he decided your eternity now i think one of the problems is that many of us were taught versions of this that are just slightly or way off base biblically speaking some will say jesus saves but you have to bring your own tools that you are the reagent to make it happen that god comes up with a really cool idea sets the ball in motion and you you uh figure it all out by choosing him i don't know how much clearer you can get than jesus's words in john chapter 15 verse 16 you did not choose me jesus says but i chose you and appointed you to bear fruit fruit that will remain now around about this time we should start talking about free will what about free will free will by the way is the freedom to do as you please to do whatever you want to do and every one of us has it we all have free will to do whatever we want to do everyone exercises free will right now you are by your own free will and you can't say otherwise you are listening to me preach and you say well i was forced to come to church well no you chose to come to church you could have run away you could have hid but you are here and you are glad and i am preaching because i chose to get up and preach out of my own free will I got up this morning. I said, I can't wait to get here because I get to preach. No one like said, you're going. It's like, I'm going because I want to. I'm up here because I want to. No one's forcing me to do it. I'm doing it of my own free will. And many people are confused by free will. It's understandable. I'm confused by it. And so many people see it differently. Again, understandable. But how does God see it? That's what we want to know. You want to be grounded in the, in the Word of God, not your opinions. Well, I think it should be this way. Okay, well, what, do you have God's Word for that? So, we can't really say, hey, look, it's, it's like flying in an airplane. If I want to go from here to Buffalo, all I need to do is buy a ticket and know how to get on the plane and use the, the headphones. Uh, I don't need how to f- know how to fly the plane. Wonderful, that's true. But we're not talking about flying planes here. We're talking about being in the family of God. And there are certain things in families that everyone in the family needs to know. Like inheritance. Like what's in the will and things like this. There are, there are family secrets that everyone in the family needs to know. These are the things that God wants everyone in the family to know. And, and they're simple enough for a child to understand. They're simple enough for the oldest adult to understand. Everyone can get it. We talk about free will. And some will say this. Um, the doctrine of election isn't fair heard that many times uh, or doesn't god give us a free will as if they were in competition with one another or what about john three sixteen? yeah it's there and it's true and you should do that and believe that and people will say well why would god save some and not all and these are great questions but they're god questions but there's some of the questions and argument that surround the doctrine of regeneration and election R.C. Sproul has a good teaching series uh, and a book called Chosen by God. And, and he talks about the sovereignty of God in, re, in redeeming fallen sinners and shows how it relates to the will of man. And he shows, he, he tells a story. He says, I heard a seminary president once say, I do not believe that God brings some people kicking and screaming against their wills into the kingdom. 
while he excludes others from his kingdom who desperately want to be there. Sproul says, I was astonished when I heard these words. I did not think it possible that a president of a seminary could have such a gross misconception of the church's theology. He was reciting a caricature which was as far away as one could get. He goes on to say, we do not teach and never have taught that God brings people kicking and screaming into the kingdom or has ever excluded anyone who wants to be there. Remember that the cardinal point, the doctrine of regeneration and predestination and election rests on the biblical teaching of man's spiritual death. Natural man does not want Christ. He will only want Christ if God plants a desire for Christ in his heart. Once that desire is planted, those who come to Christ do not come kicking and screaming against their wills. They come because they want to come. They now desire to Jesus. They rush to the Savior. Jonathan Edwards had this example of a chair that I might butcher, but it's not about a butcher. It's about a chair. Just remember that, okay? The difference between natural ability and moral ability and natural inability and moral inability and let's just say that you were chained to a chair and you were tied up with ropes and there was no way you could move duct tape over that and i said to you get up out of that chair and you're like i can't i'm not able okay i understand but what if you were sitting in an easy chair in a nice comfy leather club chair and, and you just loved the way it felt and you, you wanted to be there and, and I said get up out of that chair and you said I don't want to I don't want to that's the idea that our sin has put us in the place of spiritual deadness and of no desire for God we don't want to get up unless God does something in our hearts every choice you make you make for a reason You always choose according to your strongest desires at the moment of choice. And the will, your will, is your choosing faculty. Whatever you do after church today, you will choose to do it. Eat a donut, go to lunch, share Christ with your neighbors, go swimming. Whatever you're going to do, you're going to choose to do it. Some of you are like, I'm not going to eat donuts or go swimming, but I will share Christ with my neighbors. Thank you. I saw that. You guys both made that decision. It's wonderful. You choose that on your own free will. But freedom is self-determination. The problem is fallen humans, they have free will, but they lack liberty. They're not free to choose Christ. They have natural freedom, but not moral freedom. Freedom is self-determination. In regeneration, God changes the disposition of your heart and plants a desire for himself within you. Now we go to Romans 9. We go to Romans 9. And um, verse 14. I love Romans 9. I love Romans 8. Romans 8 talks about how God works all things together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Love that. And now you get in Romans 9. It says, what shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy.
So you got these words, regeneration, election, foreknowledge, predestination, all Bible words. Why should we want to know about them? Why should we be interested in how the plane flies? Because we are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen who need not to be ashamed but handle accurately the word of truth. Because it has to do with our identity in Christ and our security in Christ and our ministry in Christ. What we believe and think about and share with others about how God saves people has a definite impact. Is there a logical, maybe not necessarily sequential order of how salvation occurs? I want to put up another word for you. Two words, two Latin words, ordu salutis, which means the order of salvation. And this is one version. We've got copies somewhere floating around campus here and um, you can pick one up but if you go from the bottom you've got the idea of election where God secretly and sovereignly um, of his good pleasure chooses some people to be saved you've got calling where God summons people to himself to the human proclamation of the gospel so they respond I mean you've got to hear the gospel preached faith comes by hearing hearing by the word of Christ regeneration God impart spiritual life to those who've been called and then conversion we willingly respond to the gospel call repenting of sin and placing faith in christ for salvation and some of these things happen simultaneously Uh, you hear the gospel god regenerates you and bam you get saved we don't know the timing exactly they're not like exact sequential order this is a logical order as the bible shares it a good example is lydia in the book of acts says that god opened her heart to believe the things that were spoken. The idea of all those who were appointed unto spiritual life, eternal life, believed. And you see this every time. Go through scripture. You see it every time. You never see it in any other way, in any other order. Now, theology, truth about God, doesn't just spring out of praise to God, but it, it, it generates more praise to God. Solid teaching from God's word leads to praising God because of the glory of his grace. But it won't just stay in our hearts and our minds. It is going to, whatever we believe, whatever we think about how God works, will get it, make, work its way out into our life. That's where biography comes in. And we should be very concerned about that. See, the, the third thing uh, that I'll point out today about what this verse shows us is biography. It tells us why it matters that we understand what Peter is getting at here. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation points. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Who did He cause to be born again? I hope that word us just springs out, jumps out from the page to you. He has caused us. Who? the elect exiles, all those who have, have come to faith in Christ. It should matter to us because it matters to God. Some people say, well, no, doctrine divides. And I'd say doctrine, sound doctrine only divides if you don't align with it. Inflexible opinions driven on feelings per- divide as well. And I have found over the years that most Christians who deny these ideas about God's grace do so from relatively pure motives 
have come by their views rather innocently and honestly. Many have done really deep study of the scriptures and have just landed with other intelligent thinkers who disagree with this position. And we've got to leave that in God's hands. Plenty of our brothers and sisters in Christ may not align with this, this explanation. I believe with all my heart this is what the Bible teaches. It's my responsibility to, to, to present what, what I see as the plain teaching of the Word of God. By the way, if someone holds a different view, it doesn't mean they're, they're deficient or that they're somehow second class, but it doesn't make them right either. We shouldn't have like a battle over who's right and who's wrong. We should handle the scriptures accurately and make sure that whatever point of view we hold is very clearly explained in scripture. I've known a good many people who have never taken the time though to study these great teachings in the Bible. They've shied away from them thinking that they would cause divisions or distractions or, or thinking it wasn't important. That grieves my heart. These are important things. That's why Peter starts his letter with them. What people do a lot of times, and I don't want you to do this, is go off of little bits of information and large doses of your own ideas. It's like a child who, who knows their father loves them and says, that's all I need to know. Daddy loves me. And it sounds very noble, but in fact, it is a very self-centered view. To them, it is all about them. The father loves them. But those who truly love their father want to know about his life and more about who he is and what makes him tick. As the child grows up, expresses their love for the father and expresses interest in the father and who he is. Say the father, though, was a criminal or treated other human beings rather horribly, it would be understandable that they would not want to look into the father's past actions or present interactions because it causes them shame. It causes them embarrassment and humiliation makes sense and they might know the father loves them but they cannot bear to know about their father's horrendous actions but say that the father was a man of deep integrity who had done many good things to benefit humanity an abraham lincoln sort of guy and then their insistence on only knowing about the father's love and not learning more about who he is would seem to us quite shallow Now shift that thinking to God the Father. It's not enough to say, I know He loves me and that's all I need to know because the Bible teaches that He is an electing, foreknowing, regenerating God, among other things. We should want to know who He is and what He does and how He does these things because He loves us. Why wouldn't we want to know all about His great works? So I encourage all of us to dive deep into the study and contemplation and application of things like election and foreknowledge and regeneration and predestination. Because they are not meant to stir up controversy, but to give great comfort for Christians going through trials. And you and I go through trials. It should sober us to know that there are believers around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ right this very moment, who are being deeply persecuted and even killed for their faith. And it's very easy for us to say, well, we don't go through any kind of trial. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Do you know who said that? The Holy Spirit, through Peter. It's important. 
The question I want to have for you today is, are you regenerated? Are you born again? How do you know? Do you belong to Jesus? Well, how do you know? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and His shed blood on your behalf is the only thing you want in terms of salvation to be, to be saved by Jesus Christ and Him alone. There is not one person that's ever walked the face of this earth that has wanted Jesus with all their heart who has been denied. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. God makes dead people live. He does it by His own sovereign good pleasure. And it should bring us immense joy and comfort. It should make unbelievers want to take a step of faith. But for believers, it should be a very observable and evidence response for all, all who believe. Jesus said in Luke 12, everyone who has been given much, much will be required. In this chapter, Peter says, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. And it's all based on God's sovereign grace in Christ. His mercy. So it is very important. Go back to verse 3. It says, we have been born again to a living hope. That's cool. It's like, wow, living hope. What does living hope mean? Living hope means growing hope. Growing hope. That's why Peter said in 2 Peter, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It is the basis of your identity. It is the ground of your security. It is the inspiration for your ministry. And it should lead to more energetic and fervent sharing of the gospel and the power of the Holy Spirit, trusting God with the results. Big day of big words, a lot of ideas. And at the end of the day, it's all in God's hands.